Hello again, and welcome back to Character Concerns, the podcast I started. The sports went away for a while, and I was the only person left in America without his own podcast. We are here once again to discuss a classic TV character. This time around, we're taking a train to neighborhood 12358W to talk about everyone's favorite big, colorful rainbow blob stuffed inside a hot, life-size action figure, Jason Mendoza from The Good Place. Here with me to do just that is a woman who had a vanity license plate that said, I love butts. My cousin, Emily Dubin, everybody. Emily, what's up? I, you know, I can deny it, but the people are now going to think what they want. You know what? Jason Mendoza loves Vanity Plates, so I'll ride that train with him. Yeah, I mean, look, if anybody listening to this podcast has seen your car and can prove that you did not have a Vanity license plate that said, I love butts, then I'll take it back. But I somehow doubt it, and the only people that would be able to prove it would agree with me. So that's where we're at. I won't call it slander, but uh, we'll just we'll wait for it to be proven or unproven. You're on the the podcast with a lawyer right now. Slander yeah. has to be damaging to your reputation. And if you had a uh, a vanity license plate that said "I love butts," I do not think that would damage your reputation. If anything, it would enhance it. Anyway, I have way more notes for this podcast than I did for all the others, so I want to get into things quickly. Let's start here. Why did you want to talk about Jason? Why did I want to talk about Jason? I mean, I knew I, I would love to talk about someone from The Good Place because there's so many reasons I love the show as a whole. And I just think that Jason is, in a way, like one of the more weirdly complex characters. And he's just like such a bright spot of sunshine. And really, I just feel like there's so much more like good things to say and just discuss about him than like his merit as a person. So yeah, I just thought I'd go with something like fun and uplifting. And yeah, like you said about having more notes, like it, it, you can just talk about him endlessly, I feel like from a character standpoint, from an actor standpoint. And uh, yeah, he's just like such an enigma. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he's a complete ding dong. Like, obviously, <laughs> he's like the, the strangest, dumbest person mm-hmm. in the history of the world. But it's also like he is not actively malevolent in really any way he's just dumb and oblivious to the way like the to the ridiculousness of the things that he says and it's like i think that first of all that's a very interesting character to have on a tv show like mike sure has said this a few times that one of the funniest combinations you can have for a character is that they are both really dumb and incredibly confident and that is like jason to a T like, you know, we'll talk about it when we get to similar characters, but it's like he was when he, when Mike sure was saying that he was talking about Andy Dwyer and who obviously is very similar to Jason, you know, maybe not quite as ridiculously dumb as Jason. He's more just like normal dumb. And Jason is like everything about Andy blown up to the nth degree. And also like a Florida bro. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, he's so great. I love him so much. Yeah, I think the thing about Jason, and it's so funny, like, you know, what Mike Scher says about being, uh, like, dumb but confident, I think is one of the things that Tahani says makes him, like, so great in bed. Mm -hmm. But he's just, like, he's such a product of his environment. Like, he's from Jacksonville, Florida, and that's what's going to happen to you if you're just, like, a dumb, sweet, hot boy in Jacksonville, Florida. Like, you know, what? how else are you going to turn out? (laughs) It's also, like, you're going to turn out that way when... Your dad is Donkey Doug. Um, First of all, his dad is a guy whose name is Donkey Doug. And he calls his dad Donkey Doug. Second of all, the actual, like, personality 
of Donkey Dog is just like, what if Jason, but 30 years older? Like, He's like my boy. Yeah. He's just as much of a ding dong as Jason is, if not more. Like he might be closer to Pillboy than to Jason. Mm-hmm. Like that's how dumb he is. Mm-hmm. But the, the three of them together are incredibly hilarious. I love also how Donkey Doug is the first person to leave when like Jason is given the second chance and he's back on earth and he tells his 60 person dance crew that they're not allowed to commit crimes anymore. (laughs) Donkey Doug is like, all right, I'm out. That's it for me. It's like the first guy to go. That's his dad. I loved, I really did love that reveal. And I think it's so funny that, that Donkey Doug being Jason's father came about in the process of writing and they were kind of like, we've had this character donkey Doug and we've never really talked about, you know, Jason's parents. What if his dad is donkey Doug? And it was just like such a good click moment. That is really what the series is filled with from a writer standpoint of just lining up these things that you didn't think were going to line up so well, but you know, and then at the end when he's like, call me donkey dad. Nah, that sounds whack. Call me donkey Doug. (laughs) Yeah, he does call him Donkey Dad right before he says that. And he's like, actually, no, don't do that. And, you know, he comes up with the ridiculous uh, body spray slash energy drink idea with, I mean, of of course, that he comes up with that with Pillboy, like, who is even dumber somehow than both than both Jason and Donkey Dog. Like, oh, man. What do you think Jason's uh, defining character trait is? I think... And this comes back to the reason that I chose him. I think at his core, he is a sweet and purely loyal person. I think he's very much like that puppy dog that we love in that way where he's just like, these are my people. This is my tribe. It's not really about the actual things that I'm doing for them or with them, but the fact that I would do anything for them. And that was his dance crew in Jacksonville. And now it's the um, uh, team cockroach. Team Cockroach or um, the Soul Squad, bunch, the Soul Squad, yeah, whatever his team is, whoever his people are, he will go all in for them. Yeah, I have that as one of his best traits. Like he's obviously a very good and loyal friend, and I literally wrote down like he's just a sweet kid. Um, But for his defining trait, I just had like his obliviousness. (laughs) Like basically everything he says means absolutely nothing and like even in the most serious situations he's focused on the most ridiculous and stupid shit like when they're basically in the episode where they become team cockroach and michael's trying to convince them to like you know be on his side and try to get over on vicky jason's like you know i have a very important question that we all need to know right now and it's did the jaguars win the super bowl and (laughs) it's like are they ever going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> and he's like, I have about 15 more Jaguars questions right now. And it's just like his whole life is basically that scene where the most serious thing possible is happening. And he's like, tell me about the Jaguars. <laughs> and he's like the, the episode with, with Timothy Olyphant when they're trying to devise the new afterlife system. And he's just like, Sean, you used to be cool, but you've changed, man. Like complete utter obliviousness to everything that Sean ever was and how much horrible thing that he has done to them. <laughs> like I'm going to be Jake Jordles and like, all I need to do is throw a Molotov cocktail to, pro- you know, to create a new problem instead of the old problem. Like mm-hmm. everything he does just has no awareness of the situation going on around him. You know, sometimes that works out 
well, scarily, mm. almost. <laughs> but at all times, he basically has no idea what's going on. Yeah, I love. I don't remember exactly which scene it was or like what conversation they were having. They were having, but everyone in the room was like having this loud, boisterous discussion, and it goes to him, and he's like, "I don't know why everyone's yelling, but I feel like I should also be yelling right now." <laughs> And that I, I think is also very defining where he's like, I don't know what's going on, but I have to participate. There's the other one where in the episode where like Chidi's trying to come up with the afterlife system and Jason comes up with, you know, I don't even remember the idea, but it was obviously really stupid. And Michael's like, okay, bud, sounds great. And Jason's like, are you going to write it down? And then Michael like writes something down and he's like, did you really write it down or did you just do a scribble scrabble? And it's just like, Jason. Come on. And that's why, like, in the episode where they have, like, all the 800 reboots or whatever, when Jason finally figures out that they're in the bad place, that's, like, (laughs) the lowest point for Michael as a character. And, like, he actually says that. He's like, this is a real low point. Jason? Jason got this one? Oh, man. (laughs) I think it's noticeable that Chidi was never the one that figured it out when they showed up. Like, I think it was just Eleanor and Jason. I don't know that they showed Tahani figuring figuring it out and obviously janet wouldn't have Mm -hmm. figured it out because she's well she's not a girl but she's Mm -hmm. not a robot either anyway uh, yeah let's let's go to jason's best traits you know we talked about obviously he's a sweet kid like and he's just he's just a really really good friend like the episode where um tahani has to plan like the the party for the welcome party and Mm -hmm. uh Vicky is having like the other demons throw a party so that they can torture Tahani. And Jason's just like, you know, you're the smartest, coolest person <laughs> I've ever met. Be nicer to yourself. Yeah. And it's like, he's being really dumb, but at the end he's like, comes out with this like great piece of wisdom that like Tahani holds herself to this, you know, ridiculous high standard. And like, she really is like, Obviously, her motivations were corrupt, and that's why she ended up in the bad place in the first place. But the afterlife version of her actually is a really good person, and she she should be nicer to herself. And if she was, she would be much happier. And Jason's the one to. Yeah, I think I think one of Jason's best qualities is that he really brings out the best in everyone else. And I think part of that is because he's just this person that everyone kind of like wants to take care of and protect in a way. And so he really brings out a lot of people's more nurturing side. And also just that he has this ability to kind of like see through all the things that to everyone else are very important and to him are almost unimportant just because they completely go over his head. Like Tahani's obsession with status and and fundraising and being a philanthropist, like all of these things, Jason is just like, goes way over his head. And he said in the very beginning, he's like, she's so pretty, like Nala from The Lion King. And she's so smart, like Nala from The Lion King. Like that's all he can see in his scope. And that simplicity in a way has, gives him the ability to just like cut to the core of whatever's going on with somebody else to lead them to this very simple realization that to him is like all there is. (laughs) He kind of is and like gets treated like, like the if you would see a movie and like they get a dog and that dog is like super cute but also they leave the house for the first time and they come home and everything is everywhere and he's chewed up all the pillows and like got mud all over the couch like that's basically what Jason is but like the person version of that like he's uh, like that 
it comes back there to like very sweet and loyal and a good friend and like destructive and dumb, but not in a malevolent way, just because again, he's like oblivious and from Florida. So that's just like, what's going to happen. You know, it's the same thing with a puppy. Like they don't know yet that they're not supposed to chew up all the pillows. Like you got to teach them that. And obviously that's sort of the journey that he goes on throughout the show, like learning impulse control and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is the first time in his life that he's, like, ever being held accountable for anything. And so his learning curve is just different because it's, like, it's the first time that he's learning that the things that he was doing were bad. It's not that he was ever doing them and, like, stealing and doing all these things because he's, like, I'm trying to be, like, a bad person. It was just, like, this is what everyone I love and surround myself with is doing. And so this is what you do. And then he meets other people that can show him a different perspective. And he, I, I don't really know if there's, I mean, he obviously goes to the lessons with Chidi and wants to be, decides he wants to be better. I mean, he walks in the room and he's like, I'm here to learn about ethnics. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think he just, he just wants to be better for the people around him who for the first time are telling him that he can be better. Um, and yeah, it's like a puppy and he makes a mess and you just look at him and how could you be mad at that face? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, this is a person who was born in the deep end of a pool right after his mom did a cannonball. And his dad is Donkey Doug, and his best friend is Pillboy. And every person in his dance crew, all they want to do is do crimes. Like, he never had a choice but to become the ding-dong that he became. Like, right. you know, he went to Leonard Skinner High School, which was just a bunch of tugboats. Not in the water, they're just there. <laughs> like... Oh man, As his favorite restaurant is Stupid Nick's Wing Dump. Like he he was always going to become the person that he became and it's only when he gets around actual good people that he finds that he has the capacity to become a good people uh, a good people a good person too. Um other good traits, um very good dancer, obviously. Mm. Um not necessarily the best leader, but he does try to get his dance crew to not do crime. So he has the capacity to want to change it, even if he's not necessarily very good at it. Um, he is the first one of the dummies to really find himself and be okay. Moving on from the good place to the next phase. Like, I think that some of that is because he's the simplest out of all of them, but some of that is also just like, he is capable of being happy and content in a way that the other ones aren't too. And I think you see that throughout the rest of the series, like when they're having like a very serious discussion about something and Michael just gives him like a, one of those, it's like a shiny thing and it's like popping. Sparkler. I don't know. Yeah. Sparkler. Yeah. Or like a lollipop. Michael even says like, you want to make Jason happy? Just give him a lollipop. Like he's, he's very simple. Uh, he finds like a Tahani stands him up for a date, but he doesn't care because he finds someone to be in like the Jaguars fan club with him. Like, <laughs> So um, he's he's a simple man, and he he has the capacity to be happy and content far more than the others do. Yeah, I think his simplicity just allows him to have like less hangups. I mean, Chidi's life is like infinitely more complicated than Jason's, just because of Chidi's capacity to synthesize information that Jason is just simply not taking in. And so, <laughs> the life you lead as a product of of that is going to be very very different my favorite moment of jason like being satiated by an object is when <laughs> janet reappears with the pikachu balloon and he just 
absolutely loses it. Pikachu, guys, it's Pikachu. And then he goes and grabs it and it pops. And it's just like this face of like utter tragedy as if like his pet has literally just died. And everyone else in the room is like, you popped a balloon. And he's just totally on another level. His highs and lows come like so much easier than other people because they're so simple. But yeah, I think the fact that he's easy to please makes him just he just exists on like a different plane than everyone else because he can be satisfied with like a sparkler or a balloon when everyone else is like contemplating how to continue on their existence he's also very trusting which like that can get him in trouble sometimes when he trusts the wrong people like Pillboy or donkey doug but for example he trusts michael because he wears a bow tie and <laughs> He believes everything Chidi ever tells him because of his brain and how he looks like one of those owls that graduated from college. Um, so, like, and he can tell that his friends are sad if they have the same look on their faces that his teachers got when he raised his hand in class. So, like, he's also just, like, very thoughtful and he knows, like, how to help his friends like again he helped tahani when he said like be nicer to yourself mm -hmm. he helped chidi like multiple times especially toward the end run of the show when chidi became like the most important character because he was trying to figure out everything in the afterlife and there were like two different times where jason tricked him into thinking something that he already knew but that gave him an answer that was really important like he's just he's a good friend i think is really what it comes down to he is and i think i mean the whole reason that he has the relationship with Janet that he has and the reason that came about that Janet says is literally because when she was being rebooted and she lost all of her knowledge Jason was nice to her and was kind to her in a way that no one else had ever been and they formed this bond and I think that really is like the core of who Jason is is like it doesn't matter what's up with the other person it doesn't matter if they're super smart or if they lost all their knowledge or if they're really beautiful like he is just going to be kind and be there for that person and can you know ha doesn't really have enough inside of him that he needs to put aside in order to do that it's just like who he is and, and what he knows to do. I guess you know in a different way he's also like pretty thoughtful and like progressive he's in a relationship with a you know, not not a robot, not a girl, but with a Janet who is, you know, yeah, I mean, she is a straight up hottie, rock and bot, all that stuff. But she's also like, he's in a relationship with a non-human. So that's like a pretty progressive thing for a person to be, even in the afterlife. Yeah, it doesn't even like register to him. He's like, my girlfriend. And she's like, not a girl. And he's like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Worst qualities. This might be a long one. Um, so he's from Florida. Uh, he calls his dad donkey Doug. Uh, he had a vanity license plate that said, I love butts. He loves the red hot chili peppers. He once ate 50 jalapeno poppers in two minutes. He went to Leonard Skinner high school. He was an amateur DJ, an amateur backup dancer, sold fake drugs to college kids. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, he thinks Donkey Doug and Pillboy's body spray energy drink idea is a good one. Um, his solution to everything is to throw a Molotov cocktail. And my favorite one is that he thinks his nickname is The Defendant. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that one. Yeah, I mean, it's like... And it's funny because all of these things are sort of these very, again, like just a product of his environment. And they're all these things that make him like a bad 
person in real life on earth living in Jacksonville. And like, he goes to jail and he gets arrested and like all leads him to this bad life. But when you take him out of his environment and put him in the good place or the bad place or wherever, and he's kind of released of all these physical and environmental burdens, he, I mean, I guess he's still throwing Molotov cocktails just because that's like his instinct. But yeah, I feel like so much of, he like, he just didn't stand a chance down in Jacksonville. And so the person that he became was just like this mix of all of the worst possibilities in the world. I mean, I guess being from Jacksonville also reminds me like the dude thinks Blake Bortles is a good quarterback. And that doesn't say a lot for his ability to analyze football. Like good, good fan, not necessarily a good judge of talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have a... Too much knowledge on that but i did hear i did hear that they after like a couple seasons or a season or two they did become a very good football team they did the judge mentions that in one episode they basically they rode like the best defense in the league to uh the afc championship game and then they lost um and basically the judge blames that on michael's meddling she's she's, she's like you know all the stuff that's gone wrong the jaguars are good blake bortles (laughs) is like kind of okay i don't know people are just debating it like i love also the moment when uh when he finds out that the jaguars cut blake bortles and that they signed nick Foles. like when him and janet and michael are coming back after janet had been kidnapped and taken to the bad place and then like for one second he's so happy that they got nick Foles because he had just won the super bowl and then while he's screaming Foles, the janet's like uh-oh nick Foles just broke his clavicle <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i did that one i actually i i did know enough to tap into just because i had been living in philly when when they won the super bowl um so i, I did understand that kind of reference <laughs> I think also just uh, Tahani says that he is the least self-aware person she's ever met. Um, he has massive amounts of unearned confidence and is utterly unaware of his own absurdity, yes. um, which seems bad. But Tahani says that he is therefore quite good at sex, which actually might make this in a roundabout way a good trait. Right. Yeah. I mean, with Jason, it's all it's all about perspective and who you are in relation to whatever his plan is. <laughs> like it's yeah, it benefits Tahani in that way. Um, but obviously, you know, his lack of self-awareness is a detriment to Janet, who's also in love with him. I do think it's so incredible that he has managed to pull like the two most beautiful women, non-person entities um in the universe <laughs> i think also just like the dude is incredibly good looking like he might, he's just like such a good looking person um like yeah, that's just it right there like uh, they were all talking about it on at some point like in some interviews i think like before the final season where they were like this is just the hottest dude ever and like he, now he's gonna be like in top gun like yeah uh, anyway, so humble about it. I think the best is when he is having like his first wedding with Janet and he like rips off his sleeves and <laughs> Eleanor is like, you know, tragic Mike over here. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, tragic Mike. That's so good. Cause he's so hot and so dumb and like is just kind of this walking tragedy. But yeah, I mean, I think you need, he needs to be as hot as he is to sort of bring, bring full circle the kind of puppy analogy of like, just look at him. 
Absolutely. Um, okay, his place in the show, um, he's kind of like the happy idiot. Like, I think that that's how I would describe him. Yeah, he's just, he, he's the ultimate comic relief. And again, it's because most of the time he absolutely just does not understand what's going on. Or he has just enough understanding of what's going on to get to the core of the issue. And so I think sometimes he serves to give that comic relief and the other times he serves to have a level of understanding that no one else has because they're too caught up in the details that he is not capable of comprehending. Yeah. I mean, I think that the writing staff of the show had a lot of practice getting the everything right for this kind of character because so many of them wrote on parks and rec and created Andy Dwyer, who was like probably the character that's most like him of any character anywhere other than again like the the puppy that ruins all the stuff in any movie where they get a puppy but it's like you know they had a lot of practice with andy some of them had practice with like you know a a sort of a less dumb version but still pretty dumb with like jake peralta like it's Mm. it's it's all the same kind of creative crew and they had you know they found a way to make that guy like as dumb as possible and still have him be really funny but also like fundamentally a pretty good person even though he did a lot of bad things and just that's why again like i went back to like the happy idiot like Mm -hmm. he's so happy with everything so oblivious about everything he's not like actively malevolent he's just dumb and happy about everything so it's just like he's ultimately kind of harmless except for like he doesn't do any violent crimes like he tries to rob a Mexican restaurant by sitting inside of a safe. I think it really, it definitely is a huge testament to the writing staff, you know, from Jake Peralta to Andy Dwyer to um, Jason in a way that you have this character and you have this person who can provide that comic relief without being like the butt of the joke or Mm -hmm. in a way that is like making fun of him or using him at you know the expense of highlighting another character like he is there to uplift everyone and not to bring him down so that other people are uplifted and i think it's written in a way that's really nice so that it's not oh we have this dumb person who's kind of like the scapegoat idiot like village idiot but more so of like the happy idiot who's like he he just brings they allowed him to bring value and not just be like a a release and i think it would have been really easy to just create a character who's there to be stupid so that everyone else looks smart but it's much much harder to create a character that's so stupid that sometimes he himself is so smart yeah i mean i think that that's sort of a fundamental thing of you know the sure universe shows is just that like they're not mean-spirited like the comedy is almost never at somebody's expense and when it is that's like the character trait of that person. Like when they, everybody makes fun of Jerry on parks and rec, like that's the whole character is just that like, he's put, put upon by everybody, but then they have it come back and he has like the most perfect home life of all time or like Hitchcock and Scully in Brooklyn nine, nine, like everybody, you know, makes fun of them relentlessly, but they're also like legends and Hitchcock has the record for solves all time you know, in, in the nine, nine and like Jason again is a ding dong and like possibly the dumbest person in human history, but he is there to make everyone else happy. And like when they're talking about how dumb he is, it's not like to 
to put him down or to exclude him. It's just like, you're so stupid. And like, I have to explain this to you. And it's like, it's so simple, but don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's more like exasperation with him as to how somebody could even be this way and get through in life than it is, you know, mean spirited. Yeah. Yeah. It's never, it's never, like you said, unless it's a character trait of another character, like April, making fun of people or being like overtly mean but again Andy is kind of like her antidote to that who makes Mm -hmm. her like he's just so sweet and simple and pure that like you know if she does something mean and even if he's not like hey that was mean but he just like does something kind it in that way makes her realize like oh that's you know what kindness looks like and I think Jason is that character for a lot of characters in the good place but like specifically for Eleanor who Eleanor and Jason are kind of like the peas in the pod in that way where they're both like dirt bags from Arizona and Florida. And I think Eleanor is, I mean, she is clearly much more mean spirited than Jason is, especially in their time on earth where Eleanor is a bad person because she's like ruining her roommate's dresses and then making shirts that say dress bitch. Whereas Jason is just like trying to be an amateur DJ and like sell horrible body spray energy drinks and like, Eleanor kind of realizes that Jason and his kindness is something that she can possess as well, despite her own circumstances. She even references that in the trolley problem episode when um, when Chidi has to like choose between which of them that or no, 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 no. When it's Chidi is like uh, given the five patients and they're like, Michael says, you have to kill Eleanor to use her organs to save them. And Eleanor's like, Chidi, don't do it. I'm your hottest friend. No, Tahani. Chidi, don't do it. I'm your nicest friend. No, Jason. (laughs) He is like the nicest person they know. And he is like that sort of counterpoint to Eleanor where they're, you know, both kind of trash bags. But she was definitely more, again, like actively malevolent than he was. And he teaches her really to like, Chidi's teaching her to be a better person. Jason's teaching her to be a nicer person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot more subliminal with Jason where like Jason isn't actually trying to teach you anything, but you can't help but like absorb and learn from his his energy and his. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there's one time where he is actually trying to teach something and it works really well. And that will help us transition to the best moments when he helped Chidi by tricking him into knowing that Eleanor is perfect for him because he pretends that he's upset that. You know, Janet might realize that he's too dumb and not want to be with him and gets Chidi to explain like, you know, you and Janet are in love. You're perfect for each other. Nothing's going to change that. And then he's like, aha, I got you. Now pretend that it's me and you knew it it to yourself, but keep the thoughts in your head and take them out. And it's like what he actually says doesn't make any sense. Like it's incoherent, but he, he did do that on purpose. And that's definitely one of his best moments. What else do you have there? Yeah, I think... He And he actually does try and do that a couple times where he is telling a story with the explicit intent of like relating it to their situation. And nine times out of 10, everyone's like, please stop, please stop, please stop. <laughs> and he also tells that one story. I don't remember the specifics, but it was, I think it was Pillboy's girlfriend. Someone was trying to get, I think it was Pillboy to move to Sarasota and it would have broken up their dance crew. And so he frames the girlfriend by putting stolen boogie boards in her garage. And he says, you know, I, I sacrificed one person for the sake of a 60 person dance crew. And Michael's like, 
that was actually a very relevant story. Yeah, it's he. I have that written down too. It's like he perfectly explains utilitarianism. He's like, I framed, I framed one innocent gator dealer to save a sixty-person dance crew. Like, oh man, I have so many more here. Um, um, when he tells Janet that she makes the bass drop in his heart. Yeah. Um, uh, when he tells Tahani to be nicer to herself. Um, every time that when he's pretending to be Jianyu still and he comforts Michael by just like silently putting a hand on his chest and nodding at him, even though he knows that he's not Jianyu and it like makes no sense that that would work. Those moments are great too. Uh A nurse did that to him when he drove his jet ski into a manatee. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I have that on worse moments that he drove a jet ski (laughs) into a manatee. Uh, He is talking to Chidi about, you know, the things that he's going to remember and he won't remember when they wipe his memory for the sake of the experiment. And he just like gets all the way down to like, will you remember pizza? And it's just like, and Manny Jacinto talks about this moment as well, where like on the surface, he's talking about pizza and like, are you going to remember pizza? But like, actually what he's saying is like, are you going to remember me? Like, are you going to remember us? And just the, the feeling that Manny as an actor can put into lines like that are just so like emblematic of of who Jason is he can't get out the words to like say what he really means he can only like communicate it in his own way but like there's so much care and love in what he's asking he just like he can only say it in the way that Jason can say it yeah we're gonna have a very long talk about his speaking voice and cadence when we talk about you know the actor's influence on the character so we'll get to that in a minute but i I have more best moments um the handshake with pillboy that he does in the episode where they like get him to uh to help all the old people that's unbelievable they're Um, and just doing this handshake and like (laughs) sobbing oh my god incredible like jaguars rule um Um, when he tries to help Donkey Doug, I think that's really good. Like at the end, and he he lets Donkey Doug get arrested to help him because Donkey Doug's dad did that for him, and someday Jason will have to do it for his son. Um, the wedding to Janet that you mentioned earlier, when he becomes tragic, Mike. Um, the time that he was the one who guessed they were in the bad place. Um, when he was right about the good place being a prank show. Which is like, you know, the end of the, I think it's like the third episode. And he, they find out in obviously the season one finale that he is correct, essentially. Um, let's see, I got more. Um, in the season two premiere, when um, he has that other monk guy following him around and he figures out a way to outsmart him by breaking the bicycle and then being able to. Uh, take the bicycle back to their yurt but then he gets there and because the dude is a demon he's there anyway so they start playing with rocks and jason spells boobs <laughs> with the rocks so simple such a simple such a simple man um when he teaches cheaty jacksonville style pool um, <laughs> where you just throw the balls all over the table however you want and you get a million points you get to come up with your own points um How'd you get so good at this? <laughs> um, when in the episode where Janet is glitching because she's been lying and they're standing in the office and all of a sudden everything in Michael's office disappears and Jason's just like, oh man, we've been robbed. They took the floors and the walls and everything. Oh, I love that moment. Um, 
in uh, in the episode where they're in like the uh, the good place mailroom and they walk in and like after Janet and Tahani um, have uh, have been crying because they you know just had some sort of like emotional breakthrough. Jason walks in and he sees them crying and he immediately starts crying too and he's like, I just like being a part of things. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, when he asks Glenn. Uh, if you're a devil, how come you're not wearing Prada? <laughs> um, and uh, so one of my favorite ones, actually, maybe one of the best episodes for him is the episode where it's not even Manny. It's when Janet is yeah. all of them. Mm-hmm. And Darcy Carden does such a good Jason impression. Um, first of all, when he's trying to be Eleanor and she goes... Hi, Cheaty. I'm Eleanor. I'm Arizona Shrimp Horny. It's like <laughs> such a perfect encapsulation of Jason being Eleanor. Um, like that's then, the level he understands her at. Yeah. And later in that, in that, or earlier in that episode, actually, um, when Cheaty's complaining that he's trapped in the body of a white lady and janet's like not a lady and then jason's like let's all say white people things billy joel i found it on etsy there was no room to park did you refill the brita <laughs> just like, oh his impression of white people uh, that is great and then finally in the finale he actually does become a monk for right. like a thousand baramies because he's waiting for Janet and he just sits silently and doesn't talk to anybody for, again, like a lot of baramies. <laughs> and he finally becomes a monk and finds like peacefulness just thinking about himself and Janet and his friends before he, you know, goes off into the great unknown. So obviously I wrote down a lot for his best moments. Yeah, I think that he, they, the writers really did such a good job of giving him such like a perfect full circle moment not at the end where he's like oh i need to like become a monk but just that he like did it accidentally because he was doing something for the people he cared about and his very ending is you know cheaty going off into this last step of the great unknown and he's just like wait for me (laughs) like there's no there's there's no waiting (laughs) but still he's like i'm going off with my friend and, and he's going to wait for me. And I, I think it's just such a beautiful, like, contrast to who he was in the beginning. Some of my favorite moments, just out of pure comedy, come from the first couple episodes after we learn who he really is. And he's showing Chidi and Eleanor around his butthole. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when... Uh, Chidi is trying to help him connect with Tahani and she's like oh you know I like the impressionist paintings and he comes back and he's like I got her painting of my favorite impressionist what is it uh, Frank Frank Caliendo <laughs> and it's just like and he thinks he he really really thinks that he's doing something nice but he just he doesn't understand and then he t- he's talking to her about like the impressionist painting of the ballerinas and he's like who even are those ladies <laughs> I also love how in the bud hole he has that poster of Ariana Grande and Tahani sees it and she's like, is that your sister? And he goes, no, I wish that's Ariana Grande. She's the most beautiful girl in the world. And it's like, Tahani's like, of course you want her to be your sister and you want to sleep with her. Like, yep. I guess that's a worse moment, but it's really funny. Um, 
his best and worst moments are so like, oh man, his best and worst moments are so, not that they're interchangeable, but there's just like, his worst moments I feel like are more so when it's a flashback to things that he has done in real mm-hmm. life and some of the things that he did on earth and, you know, throwing the Molotov cocktails and all the stealing and, and things that he did. I think when he's in the good place, he's not really doing, he's not doing bad things. So his worst moments are just like when you have to like send him away because you can't have a conversation while he's in the room because he's just like interjecting things that are so not helpful. Um, right. Yeah, like I, that moment when he asks Michael all the questions about the Jaguars, like, right. dude, what are you doing? <laughs> not helpful. Yeah. I mean, the, the real like worst moments in terms of like, you know, being an actual bad person are again, like you said, all of the, the stuff that he did on earth, like when he crashed his jet ski into a manatee or when he died because he locked himself inside a safe and did a bunch of whippets. <laughs> or, you know, like when he uh, he blew up a speedboat, he stole an old lady's fake leg, he got arrested for trying to steal Flea's guitar. Um, again, he had a vanity license plate that said, I love butts. <laughs> I think his worst, his worst moment in terms of acting, you know, selfishly or not in the interest of the group or his friends is in the first season before they kind of really understand what's going on and they escape to the medium place and he is very reluctant to like go back and save his friends. And that was more of a moment for Eleanor kind of realizing like, oh, this is the right thing to do and having to show that to Jason. And I think that is one of the more rare moments where he is acting more out of self-interest than like loyalty for his friends. At this point, you know, they're not as close as they are after everything else that goes on with the reboots and joining forces and all these things. Um, So it definitely comes before a very big turning point for him. But in terms of his worst moments, I think that's one of the few that's like, you know, he is actively working against the interest of his friends, but you know, then he quickly learns and is, you know, kind of, well, he's happy to go back, but then at the same time, they're all discussing like, okay, which two of us are going to go? And every time he's just like, we're safe. Way to go. <laughs> and he's like, Janet, we did it. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. I have a few more. Um, also, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that just in terms of like him being willing to, you know, let his friends go to the bad place so that he could stay with Janet. Um, I also have, obviously, when he throws all the Molotov cocktails, um, when he makes Chidi accidentally kill Janet because he sees the mm. red button and he just wants to press the red button. Um, and Chidi has to like try to stop him and he accidentally hits it. And then, um, obviously, he then gets married to Janet and he yells at Chidi. He's like, he killed Janet. He killed my wife. <laughs> uh, he, um, he obviously thinks that Michael is Janet's dad. Oh my god. Um, That's incredible. That's one of my favorite sequences is when he's like, we have to go ask your dad for permission. And then he reveals himself to Michael. And just that following um, like little sequence of when Michael's like, go back to your void. And he's like, no, come back. And then she just keeps like popping in and out. And he's like, no, come back. And Michael's like, go to your void. And she's just like, I love you. Oh, it's great. Um, when he fails the judge's test because he refuses to just not play Madden. Um, that's a pretty bad moment too. Obviously, uh, if it were not for Michael and Eleanor, that would have gotten them all sent to the bad place. So <laughs> that that's pretty bad. Um, he thinks the international hole of pancakes is tight, um, <laughs> which not great. Um, 
when he tells Sean that he used to be cool, but you changed, man. Um, <laughs> Jason, uh, Mark Evan Jackson is great, but Sean was never cool. Sean was never your friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, it, so this might be the worst one of all. Um, when he got a flu named after himself, when he kissed a bat on a dare. So it's possible that Jason started coronavirus. I mean, it's the most realistic source, I feel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, kissed a dat, a, 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 dat, a bat on a dare. I mean, the least realistic part is that jason was in china um but maybe it actually started in jacksonville and he gave it to someone who then traveled to china with that bat i don't know i think Um, it's also it's really funny in the beginning when i think it's like when he's revealing himself to eleanor and he's like everyone keeps calling me a taiwanese monk but i'm from the philippines and that's racist (laughs) that's a good moment (laughs) that's true it's like you know what yeah Eleanor says that too. Um, let's let's to the you know the moment he became real is like that for me. It's basically like the that episode and the end of the previous one when he like comes out of the that hidden street and when he calls Eleanor homie. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh god, this is maybe the dumbest person in the world. And then obviously we learn all about him in the next episode and we learn about his pretty successful DJ career. Um, that for me is when it sort of clicked in about, oh God, this guy is uh, quite interesting. Yeah, I think as soon as he makes the switch from Jian Yu to Jason and they have that first conversation and he's like, I'm scared, is when it was just like, oh, this is just going to be like a little boy. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm freaking out, homie. Yeah, and when he like takes her on the tour of his butthole, and A, that he calls it his butthole, and B, that it looks like, you know, the dream, like, 12-year-old boy room, and he has a poster of Ariana Grande on the wall, it's just like, this is who we're dealing with. And Cheetos, which Tahani ate, and the it sounds like a vacuum inside her head, or whatever she said to her parents in that episode. Um, okay, one episode to explain Jason Mendoza. What do you got? I think the episode where I, I it's not even I think the scene especially is when he's marrying Janet because it's just he's so he has no mind for anything else that's like going on he just knows that like this is a person that he really loves and is devoted to not a person not a person not a girl not a robot like he just understands that like this is I want to be around this being and just doesn't it's just that's that's all he cares about and i think that was like when he got to be like that's that's the wedding he would have had for himself in jacksonville like he would have ripped off his shirt sleeves and like given her a poem that said like send me nudes of your heart like (laughs) i just think it was this very like real moment for him in this very unreal place (laughs) That episode was my second choice. Mm. The first one was the Ballad of Donkey Doug, like when he goes mm. to save his dad and Pilt Boy, because that again is like the episode that explains how he became who he is. And like mm-hmm. even Kahani is like, well, now I understand everything. And Michael is like, these are the most ridiculous people in the history of the world. And it's like, you know, he thinks that his dad and his best friend's idea of a body spray slash energy drink is a good idea. And he helps them do three robberies in one night. And like, all of this is ostensibly why he's trying to help them be good people. Like, 
everything about him at, at least the so I think that 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 helps explain and show rather than just tell the you know the real life version of him but it also is like when he's already kind of the fully formed afterlife version of himself because he's trying to help people even though he's still a lot like he's not dead because they you know brought him back so I love that episode yeah that's just it's it's so funny to put those three people together and almost like it kind of makes Jason look smart uh-huh. compared to the two of them and yeah, I think just the fact that he is on board to help everyone in a purely um, the word altruistic in a purely altruistic way because you know they know they're not going to get into the good place anymore. But he just has this desire to help his his friends and his family, <laughs> and yeah, I think that's also a really good indicator of just like who he is at his core. Yeah. Um, okay. Would you be friends with Jason Mendoza, and what would your friendship? be like oh my god well we'd both be riding around with some vanity license plates <laughs> matching vanity license matching, plates. matching vanity license plates i think that i would be friends with good place jason more so than uh like pre-death jacksonville jason um if if i am to make that distinction i you know, we don't have a lot of crossover in our hobbies, <laughs> so I'm not too sure what we would get up to. But I, I would love to to know him and to have him as a friend just for the sheer comedy and, like, just those people that you have around where you're just like, did that really come out of your mouth? And so I really would just love to have him along. Like, you know, again, like the little puppy, just like have him along for the ride just to kind of see what his take is. <laughs> yes. So I ha- I said, like... I think that the for the college version of me would just be friends with him. Yes, definitely. Um, also, like, yeah, I think he could still. I would still be friends with him now because he likes football and Madden. So, right there, you go. Like, that as the basis of even like you know an acquaintanceship um, would be pretty solid for us. Um, also, he was in Florida, so I you know when I was in college. Uh, I was in Florida too. Not that, I mean, it's pretty far from Jacksonville to Miami, but like if he went there for a, a Jags Dolphins game or something, it's possible I could have seen him out um, getting up to some ridiculousness with uh, with Pillboy and Donkey Doug and everybody else. Um, and, and I also would I also would hope that I would be friends with the afterlife because that was just like a much more toned down version of his like dumminess, I guess. Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, to be afterlife, Jason's friend really is um, a beautiful thing and is a benefit to, you know, the person that he's friends with. And his friendship is really valuable to the whole team. And, you know, they feel very lucky to be his friend. And so I think, you know, you kind of, you have to earn that friendship with, with that Jason, you have to kind of earn his loyalty. And so I think that would be a really beautiful beautiful thing to have just to like have this very pure soul um who like believes in you and is there for you i actually think now that i think about it the soul squad version of jason is actually probably the one that i would be most likely to be friends with because he has like the same worldview in terms of like you know they they all basically adopt like the what do we owe to each other framework to their actions and that's my thing too so i think that i would be good friends with that person um 
Okay, so where would he be right now? Obviously, he passed into the next phase of existence, so we don't really know, but we can guarantee that he is starting a dance crew there. That's basically all we know. He's got a dance crew. He's got all the ingredients for a Molotov cocktail. But, you know, hopefully he doesn't have to throw any. Hopefully he's got no reason to throw any more Molotov cocktails and he can just dance, dance, resolution till the end of time. And hopefully, you know, a few thousand Baramis from now, Blake Bortles joins him there. Right. I hope he's with Blake Bortles. I hope he's just like with, I hope he's with all his friends. Um, And I hope that, (laughs) and it's so funny because really on earth and talking about him being a product of his environment, I saw a comment somewhere that was like, Sometimes you just hear these things about Jason's past that make you realize he has like a lot of like psychological trauma going on. And so I just hope he's somewhere where he can just like live his pure hearted goodness uh, uncompromised. You know what? I think that the most logical explanation is like, so in the last scene, like when Eleanor walks through and she becomes like that, you know, speck of whatever and lands on that guy's shoulder and he brings the mail to Michael. I think mm-hmm. that when Jason went through, he became that speck and landed on Blake Bortles' <laughs> shoulder. And that is how Blake Bortles gets into the good place. I truly, I truly hope so. I think we could all use a little, I think we could all use a little Jason Mendoza. And so I think his, his essence and his core evaporating into like the universe into someone down here, I think is truly a blessing. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about Manny Jacinto. Um, he is amazing like the the absolute best thing about this performance is just the way he talks like i don't know that there's anybody else that could pull off that speaking style and have it be so over the top hilarious and like it's just so perfect for the kind of person that jason is like oh my god he's so good it's it is it's so perfect and i think it's one of those things that you can't like teach and you can't you know i don't think that's something that they really workshopped in a way that was like do you want this silly voice or do you want this silly voice it was just like this is jason's voice and this is who he is and i think the reason the good place works is because there are so many of these like magical moments that just work and the way that the cast works together and the way that you know they all love and support each other in real life is just allows him to be this kind of like crazy over the top caricature but still feel like very grounded and believable enough that you're invested and it's like it's enough to make him seem like this total doofus but then he just has these moments of like such clarity and he just like Manny has this like he just has this pure honesty and this look in his eye and he's just able to get to like the emotional core of everything that Jason is saying. But with this silly, silly voice, it's just like this perfect juxtaposition and is truly like a testament to Manny's understanding of this character. The way he's able to be so dumb and so sweet and like sometimes insightful, even all at the same time, it's like, and to do that all just because of the way he speaks Like, it would be very easy for this character to go very wrong in the hands of the wrong actor. I think even, like, again, the way he speaks helps make the things that he's saying funny instead of just, like, annoying or stupid. Like, they become so stupid that they're funny because of the inflection and the tone that he uses. 
And there's, again, there's not a lot of people that could capture that. Like, I think you go back to the similar characters we talked about before. Like, when you're in a group with, like, Pratt and Andy Samberg, like, you are doing something right in terms of being able to play this kind of character. Oh, yeah. And I think another thing about Jason is, and that Manny, like, encapsulates so well, is that he's never trying to be annoying or like trying to be stupid or or any of these things that's he really is just like genuinely asking a question or like genuinely expressing his emotions and i think you know the character like andy i think there's some things that andy did to like purposefully be annoying and was kind of like just like more of a brat than someone like jason is and manny just has this like strange sense of purity and innocence that he is able to fuse jason with and it just makes for a character again it's just like this very like childlike wonderment that it's almost like you can't get mad at someone who doesn't know better and manny has this incredible way of delivering jason's stupidity with such sincerity that instead of being like oh my god how could you say something so stupid you're like oh sweetie like you just don't understand and i think that makes for a very different reception with a character like that yeah i think it's also notable that it's like this is not typically the kind of character that you would see played by an asian american on tv like usually when you have this character it's like a dumb white dude um and for them to have made it uh, and it, a Filipino bro, like it's it's such an interesting and noticeable, but also not just because of the way he is twist on that kind of character. And again, it's it's not the kind of thing you would normally see. And that, I think, is a good thing. Like you can't have every Asian American character be a certain kind of thing. Like they should be able to be all kinds of things. And obviously, many, uh, you know, among many other people prove that they can be that. And it's just that's why I thought it was an interesting experiment to try to come up with anyone else who could have played Jason. Um, I have fewer people on this list than I have for any other character that I've done so far. I want to hear yours first though. Honestly, I mean, I, I kind of took it as a more of a, like a yes or no question. And my opinion is that I can't picture a current actor who I could be like, Oh, they would be really great at Jason because I think so much of the reason that Jason worked as a character and this cast worked so well overall is because these people were like relatively unknown coming into these roles. And so discovering Jason and getting so, you know, wrapped up in his story and rooting for him as a character and really caring about him a lot. And then on the flip side, kind of like discovering Manny Jacinto for the first time and watching an interview with him and seeing how completely different he is to Jason. I think if you were introduced to Jason as a character through an actor who you already knew, there would just be this level that would take you out of it. That's like, oh, I know who this is and I can tell that he's acting. Whereas with someone like Manny, it's like the majority of the audience is coming to him as a as a new actor. And so you just have this level of like, is this what you 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 have to believe that the, this is what this guy is really like because there's no other way. And then you listen to Manny and you're like, oh my God, and you're just blown away on like another level. So for me, I, I'm just like too deep in it to be able to picture having the experience of Jason through anyone else. Yeah. So first of all, I agree. I feel like I say this on every episode now though, like I still try to come up with people anyway, because that's mm -hmm. like, for me at least, you know, the, the point of trying to imagine this. And, you know, I do agree that it's good that he was, you know, basically 
and unknown at the time. And while both of the people that I'm going to suggest now are very well known, when you go back to 2016, Mm. neither of them was necessarily all that well known yet. Only Mm -hmm. really one of them was. So the first one is Jimmy O. Yang, who plays um, Jin Yang on Silicon Valley. And he is also like very much able to convey the dumbness that it takes to play for Jason. Um, I think whether or not he could pull off like the sweetness is a question. So it's like, it's not quite a perfect fit, but I think that there's enough there that he could do it. And then the other one, which is actually my favorite is that you like gender flip and make it like Jasmine or something instead of Jason. And it's Aquafina who in 2016 was not super famous yet. She hadn't been in Crazy Rich Asians yet. She hadn't been in Ocean's 8 yet. She had done like a few, like one episode spots on TV shows and like was hosting a talk show or something like that. And I think that that's probably the best fit just in terms of being able to pull off both sides of the personality, but it would have to be like a girl bro instead of a dude bro. Yeah, I... I understand kind of like the immediate inclination for Aquafina in the way that her her delivery sort of encapsulates her character and changes your um, understanding of a character in the same way that like Manny's inflection for Jason does that. Um, so I do think there's like a lot of potential in that sense. I am kind of like curious how the relationships between all the characters, I mean, it's it would have made the whole show completely different to have Jason's character be a girl. I mean, I guess you could have kept some of the plot lines by playing with, uh, you know, sexuality. But I do, I think that is quite a good one, quite a good parallel um, for someone else who could step into that role. I think there, again, it's like Manny just has something about this, like, sweetness and innocence about him that's really hard for other characters and for other actors. Um, but I do think Aquafina is is an interesting parallel to draw. Yeah, I don't know that she necessarily could have pulled off, like, the same level of sweetness that Manny does, but yeah. it is there. Like even her character in Oceans Eight is like far less severe than a lot of the other characters that she plays. Like, you know, her character obviously in, in Crazy Rich Asians is like very loud, very in your face, again, very severe. But she's still like, you know, in essence a nice kind of person. And the same thing, like obviously she's a criminal in Oceans Eight, but and I, I didn't see The Farewell, which she's supposedly really good in. I have it in my queue on, I think it's on Amazon or Hulu or one of the streaming services. I haven't watched it yet, but supposedly she's really good in that. And maybe if I had seen it, that might you know convince me further that she would be pull it off. Um, okay. Could the show exist without Jason Mendoza? Sadly, not. Oh, I mean, I was going to say sadly, yes, but uh-huh. it would be much less interesting. I think, I mean... No, because Janet wouldn't be the Janet that she is without Jason. That's true. And it's Janet like, would Janet, be Janet like, and Eleanor might not learn how to be sweet. They wouldn't have like that one person who's just like genuinely sweet and nice to all of them and helps them realize good things about themselves. You know what? You're right. The show could not exist without him. Like he's just he he's this grounding factor for everyone, because, again, he's just he's so simple. And like you've mentioned all the times that he was able to bring cheaty around it's the same effect as like you have this really complicated problem and and you have a conversation with a child about it and they can give you this like very unique childlike perspective that 
an adult who is going to give you really good advice can't give you in the same way. And so I think without Jason, the group would have been, you know, maybe a little like faster at coming up with solutions or like having conversations. But I think what he adds is so valuable because he adds like unadulterated kindness and this level of empathy. And again, just like this sweetness that no one else quite brings, you know, Eleanor certainly does not have it. Chidi cares so much for other people, but in a way that is kind of rooted in his own self-interest in a way that he's doing what's right because A, because it's the right thing, but B, because he knows it's the right thing because of all of his knowledge. And Tahani, you know, proved that all the nice things that she was doing was again, fairly self-centered. And I think Jason just is kind of the only one of them that doesn't quite have their same core of self-preservation and you know, he's going to act for his friends before he's going to act for himself. And I think that he's kind of the glue in a lot of ways um, that I think it's very easy to say they they could do everything they did without him. Um, But I think if you kind of take him out of the equation, a lot of the things that work will kind of fall apart. Yeah, I think you're right. I've changed my mind on this. Um, I oh my think God, also I just... changed your opinion about something? <laughs> yes. Um, you've done the thing that no one else in our family could ever do. Um, I also just think like it would have just been, things would have been so much more mean-spirited without him. Like He really is the one that makes it everything into, like again, such a, a sweet and happy kind of show even though again it's like about what it means to be a good person and how complicated the world is like if you don't have jason in that group like okay now it's just eleanor tahani and chidi eleanor and tahani are going to be sniping at each other Chidi's not going to be making any decisions like how do these people get along without jason there how is you know janet integrated into the group without having jason as the you know the person who views her as being more than a, a robot you know, like he really is. Uh, you're right. He is absolutely essential to the way everything works. And I wasn't necessarily I was thinking more about like, could you have a show without a dummy? And mm. like, yeah, obviously you could. But the way his personality fits into the the group, into, you know, the cockroaches, the soul squad, the brainy bunch, whatever you want to call them. Um, it's essential to making it work. It, it doesn't work without him. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful way and like a true testament to these writers and Mike Schur and why this show works in ways that other shows don't is because he's not simply the dummy. He's not simply the comic relief, just as, you know, anyone who (laughs) finds themselves in Jason is is more than what they appear to be. And I think they did such a wonderful job, you know, with the casting and with the writing to make this a character who who brings so much like sneaky value kind of that, like you said, you don't realize until you really step back and look at the dynamics with him and every character and the characters as a group. And you realize that this is the foundation of their kindness almost when they lose their way you can kind of look back to jason who is on this one path because that's kind of all he can do (laughs) now the way that we've just been talking about this in the last few minutes reminds me that we should have had another similar character uh troy barnes from community because he is the one again in that show who is just like very sweet and sort of the one who's you know essential kindness kind of holds them together 
and they show that in the episode where they have all the different timelines and the mm-hmm. one where Troy is the one that goes to get the pizza is the one where everything goes absolutely haywire and that like drives home that Troy is sort of like the fabric of maintaining the the stability of that version of the group. So I think in that way he's very similar to Jason. Anyway, um, anything else you got on Jason, on The Good Place, on you know anything else before I, uh, I let you go back to playing with your cats? <laughs> oh my god if they would even let me um i think this show is so wonderful i have enjoyed so much diving into the universe of the good place in terms of like the real world and all the writers and their relationships and like mike Schur's relationship with all of his writers from show to show and getting a look at this real world that's creating the good place i think is so inspiring for someone like me who is a writer is a filmmaker who wants to do something in this capacity and to see that like there are all these people going to work not feeling like they're going to work because they are creating something so beautiful and so special and all these actors working together who you know people like ted danson have been on set their whole life and to be on a set where you're like this just feels different something is is different there's something magical and so to know as a young person and entering this industry that this kind of magic does exist and is possible if you get the right people in a room has just been something that has like totally opened my eyes to television and makes me so excited for like what's coming after the good place with writers like jen statsky and megan amram kind of going off into the world and forming their own writers rooms I, I just feel very optimistic about where television can go because of a show like this and people that work yeah so one i obviously uh, agree with all of that like mm-hmm. i've been pretty open parks and rec is my favorite show of all time and i've been following like the same sort of things that you just mentioned since that show and like this this show and Brooklyn Nine Nine are up there for me too. And again, it's a lot of the same creative team, the same you know casting director, a lot of the same producers, and obviously you know Mike Schur has been involved in all of them, and plenty of people like Mark Evan Jackson has been on all of them. Uh, Nick Offerman has been on all of them. Like so many different people have passed through all three of those shows, and so many again writers, producers, casting directors, you know, um, you know, visual effects people. Like you know, they all talk about it on like all the different podcasts, like these people have just been working together for a very long time and, you know, building a very harmonious and creative group of people. And I think that that like, I'm someone who works alone, obviously more often than not writing, um, not for TV or movies is much more of a solitary task. But if I, you know, were writing with others, I would imagine I would want it to be with these people. Like I, I couldn't think of anything better than like writing for, uh, a Mike Schur show with this group of people that created this show and that created Parks and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and all that. And I mean, I also just want to thank this show for introducing me to the book that essentially described the life sort of philosophy that I had, but didn't know how to put words to um, and to get me to read that book after the first season um, and realize that this is sort of what I had been thinking for quite a while at that point um that's something that's been really meaningful to me too um anyway emily thank you so much for joining me taking time out from the cats and from <laughs> your parents and your brother and you know i know that's uh probably a little bit more exciting to talk to me than it is to talk to them at least since 
you've been quarantined with them for a while. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, take it sleazy. <laughs> yeah, it's been truly a thrill. Nothing, nothing I love more than uh, talking TV with you. And since, you know, we didn't get our chance at Passover and we're not going to get a chance at Father's Day, I'm, I'm glad we could hop on. For sure. Thanks again. And I'll uh, we'll be back with another episode next week.